My Bible tells me that preaching the gospel is this message. Isaiah 52 and verse 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Exclamation point in the King James Bible. Thy God reigneth. And amen to that. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Zach. Heavenly Father, lead us to a few points of many that would be to the profit of the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Enemies of happiness, a few practical ones. There are some physiological reasons. Hormones, improper diet, hypoglycemia, birth control pills, diabetes, chemical imbalance, tiredness, insomnia, physical inactivity, all those things do affect a person's outlook and their happiness. They're physiological reasons. They can be overcome even if you need mood-altering chemicals like we learned and we're reminded of from Proverbs 31, 6 and 7. If you have a physical problem and take care of it using the mean, it's God has given and He's given us more means in this generation than ever before. These are physical causes of depressed thinking and they are resolved physically and they can be resolved. Some environmental reasons. Humidity. Temperature. Some of you were surprised last Sunday about air conditioning being helpful for happiness. I hope that you read a few of the verses I sent you on Tuesday, like Jonah in Jonah chapter 4, when the Lord put a gourd over his head and protected the poor man's pate from the sun, and then the Lord killed that gourd, and Jonah wanted suicide because of the heat that was on his head. Environmental reasons, humidity, temperature, darkness, rain, these excuses are infantile and unbelieving. They can be corrected by a choice. Some emotional reasons, anger, worry, resentment, jealousy, guilt, stress, hopelessness. These excuses are a choice, since they should be able to be ruled by a child of God. Some circumstantial reasons, money, health, mechanical issues, relationships, sin. All men are destined for trouble, so trouble should not surprise us. Faith does not measure God, life, or truth, or anything by circumstances. What should Paul have concluded by his set of circumstances? That God wasn't with him? That there wasn't a reason to be happy, thankful, and joyful? No, he didn't. He rejoiced in his life. There are some temperamental reasons. Some will argue they are predisposed to unhappiness. While temperamental makeup is more or less optimistic, some people are more optimistic than others, you cannot excuse sin. The melancholy is vulnerable due to introversion, perfectionism, idealism, and thinking too much. Management reasons. Some some have too many children. They make homeschooling choices. They use an extreme budget. They have time-wasting choices in an age of witty, labor and time-saving devices, and they cause their own trouble. Those can be cured. Those are external, easy, practical causes of unhappiness that can be dealt with. Tiredness, mentioned it before. It's important that you get enough sleep without getting too much. And the Bible should teach you the balance, and every person is different. They vary in this church from five hours a night to ten hours a night, 
And the man that needs, or the woman that needs 10 hours a night is not a loser because they can't get by with five like someone else. God made every snowflake different. You should figure out what you are in a spiritual context of wanting to be zealous and productive for the Lord and then set your life accordingly. Sleep deprivation. Women may need more sleep, but not always. And you want to take care of your wife so that she is well rested. She will serve you much better. Elijah was tired after a great event with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves and wished that he was dead. So the Lord gave him a good sleep and took care of him and strengthened him with meat sent from heaven. The Bible says, don't get up too early. Don't stay up too late. Don't eat the bread of sorrows because he gives his beloved sleep. Finishing a major project will can lead to a psychological letdown in spirit. When you have yourself focused on a major project that's large, that takes a day or several days or weeks, it could be in school, it could be on the job, and then you finish it, because you've had yourself worked up to complete that project on time, do it right, it's required a great deal of effort, self-discipline, temperance, ruling your spirit, and all of a sudden it's over and you let down and you often let down too much and let other things come in, rush in at that point in time and you lose the control, the, 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 the spirit control of your life. So you want to be careful with those things. Night shifts were made for bats, owls, and raccoons. So be wary of their effects. Sometimes they're necessary. But you got to rule them very carefully because the Lord didn't make us for that. Second job might add income, but it's also a distraction that steals energy and time. We There's always financial and economic reasons pushing us towards some of these things, but we want to be wise. There are evil diseases. Now let's move to spiritual issues. I just took a few minutes and listed a whole quandary of practical issues about happiness. But turn in your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes and chapter 6, and let's deal with a few spiritual issues that steal the joy and happiness of men. Solomon called it an evil disease, so I call them evil diseases. Ecclesiastes 6 and the first two verses. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. Ecclesiastes 6.1 There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. This description here is someone saving too much, dies and leaves it to others that don't really deserve the money because he wasn't given the gift by God to spend it. God gives, and and this is throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, God has to give wealth. Because riches are not to a man of wisdom or understanding, just like a race is not to a man of speed or a military victory to a man of power. The Bible is pretty clear about that. God rules things by time and chance. And we always want to remember that what we have is from the hand of God. And there is the blessing from God to be able to eat it, to be able to spend it, to be able to write the checks, to be able to enjoy it. 
And this is what Solomon is describing here. You can go back into chapter 5 and find out, verse 14, those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. There's things that steal away the gift from God. And one thing we don't want to steal away the gift from God is our evil disease of not being able to spend it. And so, showing mercy to yourself is writing a check and saving yourself from doing slave work when you could hire the slaves easily to do it for you. Then there is, listen, that's just one. Let me add a few others that sneak in here. Then there is the diminishing returns and quite constant frustrations of neat freaks. There's a curve, and I don't have a graph in front of you. There's a curve that you go up to where you get to where you should be in an effort of keeping something organized, orderly, clean, neat. But after you reach a certain point, it just that curve just bends over and you're spending more time in accomplishing nothing except frustrating yourself. Been there, done that, and it's something to think about. There's a limit to how neat something should be because it's the point of diminishing returns. Your, your extra effort doesn't accomplish anything. Your extra effort steals from you. Then there is the diminishing returns and exhaustion, frustration of production freaks that they have to always be producing stuff. And it turns into exhaustion for them and frustration. There is a disease of too grave and sober, sober, as if all depends on you like punishment. There is a disease of giving into moods, surely one of the very worst diseases. There is a, a disease of too much structure to enjoy spontaneous ideas for pleasure. There is a disease of being righteous over much and missing your liberty in Christ. That's chapter 7 and verse 16. It's hard for us to even put the words righteous and over much in the same sentence because it sounds sacrilegious and unholy. But look at Ecclesiastes 7.16. Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? This is man-made righteousness and man-made wisdom like the Pharisees. And you can be too much of it so that you cost yourself the enjoyment of your life. There are evil diseases that can and will steal the happiness from those near you. The ones I just mentioned steal your joy because they cause you frustration, exhaustion in those things. And you're not using God's gifts the way that you could and should. Think about each evil disease that I just mentioned and how it can steal the happiness from those around you. You can be too logical and too objective for the emotional needs of even good women. Sometimes even good women just need to be held. And there's nothing wrong with that. Of course I can give her a logical explanation as to why that's a waste of time. And when you tell me, when I ask you why are you crying, and you say, I don't know. And that happens very seldom. But sometimes it happens. And so of course I can give her a logical and, ob- and objective explanation that that is quite childish. But do you know what works better? Just go ahead and hold her. Right. Even if you're chuckling a little bit. <laughs> Just go ahead and hold her for a few minutes. My wife has said that one minute of cuddling, one minute of cuddling provides enough of a recharge 
to do anything with you or for you for the next 24 hours. Now, I like logic. <laughs> and that, that seems like a good trade-off, yes. So I'm encouraging you. You can be too logical and objective for the emotional needs of a good woman. You, I have a great woman. You can be too conscious, too time conscious, so that any downtime, naps, or cuddling is wasteful. This, these are evil diseases. You can be too active to allow downtime, rest, contemplation, walks, reading, or relaxing. Too much activity is stupid. Why do you have to be busy all the time? There is great profit in sitting still and knowing that I am God right. and reflecting and being, and giving thanks without anything to do. Just to relax. Husbands, if you forget your proper use of authority, you can destroy the happiness in a home by being an oppressor. Because someone in authority without wisdom and understanding is a great oppressor. Wives, if you forget your role of submission and reverence, you take away the joy of a house by being an odious woman instead of a cheerleader. I have a cheerleader. I wish that all of you men had a cheerleader. I have a cheerleader 25 hours a day. No matter what I want to do. No matter what I'm asking her to do. Every woman should be a cheerleader. That's what she was made for. To help Adam. And I'm very thankful for that. A high maintenance woman not ruling her emotions and needing help is exhausting. It hardly matters what she may look like. Because an ugly cheerleader is far better. Someone that's cheering her husband on. Guilt. Let's not, ha- let, let's not allow any guilt to break our happiness and joy in the Lord. And so we believe forgiven. We remember Isaiah 55 that says, My thoughts, my ways, are higher than your thoughts and ways as the heaven is above the earth. And in that context, it is the abundant pardon and forgiveness that God has given to us. So let's get rid of guilt that steals our joy. Selfishness is a lying fraud. And when you try to save your life, Well, I like my schedule. Well, I like my house. Well, I like my time. Well, I like my diet. I like my this. I like my that. And I'm going to protect it. You lose. You lose. You're a loser to start with forever having those thoughts. But you lose the benefit because giving is more blessed than receiving. And to try to save your life by setting up this boundary that I am not going to let other people encroach and I'm not going to step out. I'm going to have my little life because I want to preserve my peace and tranquility. You lose. Jesus taught it over and over. He that tries to save his life will lose it. But he that will lose his life for my sake shall find it. I've tried to live both ways. I'm 59 years old. I have lived both ways. And I'm telling you that to live it all out for the Lord and just to give yourself away to Him and to others is the most fulfilling and happy time you can have in your life. I've I've tried it the other way. Those in love with themselves will easily hurt all those around them by their black moods. Those in love with themselves think too much about themselves and into self-pity. It's as plain as the noonday sun. Those that serve others the most are the happiest. Envy. Let's never envy anyone else or resent them for their advantage. Whether it's a, it's God-given advantage directly or they do something better than we do, envy's terrible. Anger and, and wrath are cruel, but who can stand before envy? Proverbs 27 
in verse 4. If you walk with God and use what He has given you, no one can be honored more than that. Covetousness is a horrible disease that will not let you be content with your things. And since I dealt with that last Lord's Day, I will not spend too much time here, but wandering desires destroy men. You're at Ecclesiastes 7, chapter 6, verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. Remember the 50 lessons or so God gave us from the book of Ecclesiastes? So we have a lot of evil diseases. We have a lot of things that we do wrong, and one is a wandering desire. Be content with the things that you have. It it is lose-lose to be frustrated and upset about what you have because you want something that you don't have. It's terror. It's stupid. It's lose-lose. When you choose to be content with what you have, and you're not frustrated about something you don't have or can't have, then it's win-win. Because that frustration is gone, and the happiness is back, and the thankfulness for what you do have. Covetousness is terrible. And the Bible blasts against it in both Testaments. I can't get no satisfaction, the world sings. And they show the resulting dysfunction in their stinking lives. And anyone who knows what I just said, or the people that I said it about, and that particular generation are unhappy. They have to resort to drugs and drunkenness and divorce and destruction, death and dysfunction. And a child of God, without being covetous and choosing to be content, can be content in whatsoever state you're in. Paul said, I can be rich and abounding and full no matter what. It didn't matter what was on the table in front of Paul about being full. Because it was the fullness was in his mind. It was a choice he made. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Are you discontented with your job, your wife, your house, your car, your body? You're fretting against the Lord, for He ordained what you have, and you're grieving the Holy Spirit. You deceive yourself by idealizing what you do not have by your ignorance of it. Anyone who ever wants a different woman for his wife, he hasn't lived with that thing. Are you kidding me? See if you can solve the problems of the one you've got. Your problems with her. You frustrate yourself into a maniac situation like Amnon, craving things that you cannot have. You waste limited energy and time in a direction that doesn't provide satisfaction. It, it, is, so, it is so simple and it's almost trite to try to describe covetousness and contentment, but to simply make a choice, I like my, I like my things. I like my wife. I like my body. I like my house. I like my situation in life. I I like it. I'm content with it. It it just brings so much peace and happiness. Instead of wishing we were someone else or had something different. Fear. Look at Psalm 27. Fear destroys happiness. Fear happens sometimes even to the best of men. And there's a quick resolution for it, and that's to put your trust in the Lord. But David gave good advice by declaring against very great fears. Our news media is just a bunch of fear mongers. When was the last time the media told you anything good and profitable for your life? Thank you. I agree. My list is the same. None. Ever. I don't care what media it is. 
Fear sells newspapers. Fear sells blogs. Fear sells websites. Contentment doesn't. Security doesn't sell. Who is going to read an article with a picture of a person sitting in a chair, drinking a lemonade, being totally content with their life? Really. It doesn't happen. They're always trying to unnerve us. Jerry gave you a great antidote to fear because a lot of the fear that's shoved at us is political fear. I would like to take up verse 10, the last half, and add a little bit to what Jerry said. Do you know that there's far less evil in the world than there could be? Do you know that there's far less evil in the world than there should be? Do you know that there is hatred out there that is far greater than what is manifested in the few acts God allows? Do you know that there is diabolical plans and thoughts and imaginations of men far greater than anything we've ever seen? Why hasn't it happened? For anybody that's been to Michigan Stadium or a stadium like Michigan Stadium, you sit like this, shoulder to shoulder, 115,000 people, all crammed together into a facility where if somebody yelled fire, it's very hard to get out. The other person is right in front of you so that their hair is touching your stomach and your hair is touching the stomach of the person behind you or their knees. It's insanity, but Americans love it for their religion called spectator sports. Why hasn't, I've wondered about this since I was single digits, why hasn't somebody with a small plane flown over Michigan Stadium, dropped gasoline on them and lit a match? Why hasn't somebody that had a kamikaze spirit taken a small plane and dove into a crowd with it all filled with gas? Why hasn't somebody nowadays just got on their little cell phone and run some drone into Michigan Stadium? Why doesn't that happen? Psalm 76 and verse 10. Right. Is there anybody out there that would like to do it? Are there a few million people out there that would like to do it? Might there be a billion people out there that would like to do it? Why can't they do it? Now that just makes sense to me. See, I'd rather sit in my living room and run a little drone into Michigan Stadium and take out 800 or 8,000 instead of 80. 80. Why in the world would you kill yourself in a truck over in France for only 84 dead? I'm sorry for every one of them that died. I trust it to Almighty God. But why not go for some big numbers? You say, well, what about the Twin Towers? That was pretty big. Do you know how rare that event was? And do you know how many people work in the Twin Towers if they'd have waited one hour? Do you know? A hundred thousand. What was the total count from three different places? The fields of Pennsylvania, Washington, D.C., and Twin Towers? 3,000 plus. Fear. How do we... I grew up with fear, you know, fear of the communists, fear of the Cubans, fear of the Democrats, fear of Lyndon Johnson, fear of the Viet Cong, fear of everything. You know, when you're single digits and you're watching grainy film of the 4,000 chief Polish generals being assassinated by the Russians, it leaves an impact on a seven-year-old. He goes home and he sleeps with knives and stuff because he wants to be ready when the communists come. There's a God in heaven. What happened to communism? 
I mean, as a defined, named entity. Is it still around? Can they feed themselves? Are they the laughing stock of the world? Is the Russian ruble one of the biggest jokes in financial circles? You say, well, Putin makes, says a lot of things. Yeah, that's right. All talk. The world has changed. God keeps changing the world. Up goes the Berlin Wall. We get so nervous. What's going to happen to those poor people in West Berlin? Then the wall comes down. Then up, you know, on and on it goes. And the Lord does his work. You, you have never affected his work. You have never changed even one iota of politics. It is out of our control. It is out of our hands. That is not a, that is not a giving up, forfeiting attitude. That is one that puts his trust in the Lord and knows that God controls the spirits of all princes and he is terrible to the kings of the earth. He will not forget a thing that they're doing. He's going to make them all give account for what they have done. In our nation, out of our nation, against our nation, and our nation against others. Here's what David would do about fear. Verse 1 of Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, though war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. One thing of I desire to the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. What we just sang a few minutes ago, the Lord Jehovah reigns. That should have filled our hearts with joy, confidence, and gladness. You don't need to worry about... What good does your worrying do about politics? What good does your talking do about politics? What good does your thinking do about politics? What good does your reading do about politics? Tell me. Add them all up. Square them. They don't do a stinking thing except distract you from this. And that is to seek the house of the Lord with all of our might. I've seen men ruin their lives because of political prophets and political propaganda taking them away from what is truly important. Never have there been so many fear mongers that could reach so many people at one time by way of the internet. Feelings are a ruin of genuine happiness, even if you think happiness is a feeling. Ruling your spirit is key to real happiness, and feelings cannot rule your spirit. You need to rule your feelings. They come on strong. They come on fast. Let me tell you how fast. I have worked for the last two weeks with people in and out, mostly out of this church, trying to calm them down about their soul angst of the little tiny event in Dallas. I've tried to comfort them with Psalm 76 and the rest of the Bible, that it was a very small event. In historical perspective, in days gone by, you wouldn't even have heard about it until the last hundred years with the invention of the modern media. 
you wouldn't even have heard about it. It was so small. And so there I am pouring out my wisdom, my ability to rule my spirit, and the Word of God to these people. And I get an email this big from Nigeria. I just got turned down at the consulate again. In three seconds, I'd have taken an M1 Abrams through our State Department. I know everything that you experience with feelings. I'm as wild as you've ever dreamed of being. You know the names associated with our State Department that I'll not name. That much. Three seconds. I need Psalm 76 as much as anyone. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. I want to crawl through the internet and hug my Nigerian brother. I want to send him a hundred thousand and tell the building committee to wait a year. (laughs) What would you do with a hundred thousand in the interior of Nigeria? Lord, help us not to be fearful. Not help us not to be angry. Help us not to worry. Help us not to let feelings overtake us. Brethren, get rid of every bit, bit of bitterness in you. Bitterness comes from not forgiving someone. Bitterness comes from an unresolved offense. Some offense from another person towards you, and you don't resolve it scripturally, results in bitterness, and bitterness destroys our happiness. Devil oppression. Is the devil still alive? Does he still fling fiery darts? Walk in the Spirit's greatness. You walk in the Holy Spirit of God because the Bible wants to tell you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's in us? The Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who defeated the devil? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you don't, we, I don't show you videos. You, you know that when you come on Wednesday night, I'm not going to give you a video of people jumping around under devil possession. I'm just going to give you verses like, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And lest Satan should get an advantage of us, 2 Corinthians 2, give no place to the devil, Ephesians chapter 4, and for you to be pursuing Jesus, you pursue Jesus Christ and he'll leave you alone because he can't stand the one you're pursuing and he knows he's already defeated by that one. If you think that you're in a predicament and you don't know how to get out of it and it's really serious, then, then give yourself to fasting and prayer. Because the Bible says some kind go, do not go out except by fasting and prayer. Talking to yourself too much. You can talk yourself into depression. Anger, envy. Have you ever said these words to yourself? I can't do it all. I just feel depressed. I'm just upset. I don't care about being happy right now. Do you ever say junk like that to yourself? All of you saints, all of you saints have a sinner for a pastor. I'll promise you that one. Um, Tell yourself to shut up. Those thoughts are all wrong. They're all stupid. 
It's, it's the feelings of your carnal, fleshly, sinful nature coming on and forcing those thoughts into you or the, the fiery darts of the devil. The Holy Spirit never talks like that, never gives you an idea like that. Not even a sane person thinks like that. It shows how insane you are and what total depravity really is. It is depraved. It is corrupt. It is perverse. Lord, help us to rule our spirits and rule those thoughts. Thinking is not profitable time except for that little smidgen called self-examination, only done biblically. Otherwise, your thoughts are a waste. They ruin your head. You actually believe that the thoughts being generated are of profit, are of nobility. Flush them. I'll show you some thoughts that are noble right here. Think these thoughts. And go chase down someone else and do something good for them in the service of Christ. Then you'll be happy. Thinking your thoughts. And you know, different temperaments think more. Some don't think at all. And uh, very much. But it's talking to yourself. David knew how to talk to himself and he shows us how in like Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 when he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. David immediately goes to tell himself what he should do to get himself back into equilibrium. Verse 11 of Psalm 42, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? He's talking to himself. Why why are you acting like this? Hope thou in God. Who's he talking to? I'm still in the same verse. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. That's how you ought to talk to yourself. Why are you acting like that, oh my soul? Why are you thinking those stupid thoughts? Go find somebody and do something for them. Get on your knees and tell the Lord how much you love Him. Get in His Word. Sing a song. Praise Him. Thank Him. Don't think. A wicked indulgence is daydreaming. Introspection. Verbalizing your thoughts. Time alone. Melancholy music and other habits that lead to downward thinking spirals. David knew how to encourage himself in the Lord. and David had more troubles than you'll ever be able to imagine. Thinking that your circumstances or temptations or trials are worse than others is heresy. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, they're just different. First, no temptation has taken any man that is not common to men. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I believe the word of God, they're different. Some are more visible. Some we can all see. Others are inside our souls. And no man can know the grief of another man except in his own heart. The Bible says that as well in the book of Proverbs. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Now, bearing something means it's a burden. And we've all got burdens. And we're supposed to help bear one another's burdens. And we've had a particular situation that has been explained very thoroughly and kindly and faithfully in this assembly already. And we all can see it. And we relate to it more than the ones that are invisible and in our own hearts and in our own lives. But the efforts that were made to help bear that burden were excellent. But no one should get to the place where they start to think a hopeless thought that God has singled me out for exceptional abuse. 
Because we all have them. They're just different. And if it wouldn't go beyond the bounds of prudent preaching, I would start listing some of the other ones in the assembly or in my life. And it's not to, it's not to take anyone and make you feel less sorry for them. It's to make sure that we all maintain a biblical perspective of the things that happen in our lives. Somebody says to me, if I choose to be happy without feeling it, then I'll be a hypocrite. He'll be wonderful. I'll be a deceiver. Such thinking is the product of a mind that is unscrewed from the reality of faith. Faith means that we do things by faith, not by sight. Well, if I just come to church and sit down and start singing joyfully, when I'm not joyful inside, I'll be a hypocrite. Let me, let, me, let's, let me think about this for a while. See if I can figure out the depth of your soul. How else are you going to get out of it? Start singing and all of a sudden you'll find yourself pretty happy. You won't be a deceiver. You won't be a Pharisee. You won't be a hypocrite or anything else. Abraham and all great men did things that were based only on faith, not feelings. You're measuring everything by feeling. If I don't feel like it, then I go ahead and do it. Then it's insincere and I'm a terrible man. No, if you don't feel like it, go ahead and do it and we'll think you're a wonderful man. Unrealistic expectations discourage and depress idealistic and foolish people who set goals too high. Setting a goal too high is your insane plan to guarantee failure and bring about depression. Disappointment in accomplishments comes by having your goals too high. Set reasonable goals and accomplish them rather than think that a high goal is something noble. High goals are not noble. Goals accomplished are noble. It's learned conduct, brethren. What kind of a family did you grow up in? I thank God for the family I grew up in. What kind of a family did you grow up in? Unhappiness, depression, discouragement, negativity, critical thinking, and I don't mean analytical thinking, I mean criticizing all the time. That's learned behavior from poor parents. You know what you've got to do? Find the silver lever and hit it twice. And get rid of all that kind of influence on you and choose to live the way that we've talked about during this series, the way that it is is described in the Bible. If we get a wrong perspective of life, it'll mess us up like it. David's great song leader, worship leader, Asaph, seriously got messed up in Psalm 73 by a wrong perspective. We come into the house of the Lord to get our perspective back in shape. I trust before God that in the next 24 hours, if you hit the Drudge Report or some other source of fear, and they show you some picture of a truck driving over a baby's head from France, that you'll be able to look, things happen. You say you're so calloused. No, I'm just factual and objective. That when you look at that picture or whatever they try to say, you're going to remember Psalm 76, because that's the right perspective. Amen. They're not going to give you the right perspective. And you're going to say, well, I hate Matt Drudge, because he's a Jew and I just want to read Christian news. So you go to some Christian site, and, they, and all of a sudden you've got Billy Graham saying, I don't know how God could do this. And you go, oh, no, give me Matt Drudge. So I look at Matt Drudge. I don't want to, hear, I don't want to read some Christian outlook that says, how could God let this happen? Is there a God in the world? 
Of course there's a God in the world. What do the French deserve for begging all those Muslims into their country? We have 1%. They have 8 Think about it. They've begged for it. All those choices are in God's hand. I'm not making fun of anyone that died. I am talking about national policies that have consequences. But let's always put have a right perspective. And the Bible teaches us the right perspective. It warns us not to fret about the wicked. Over and over it warns us not to fret at the prosperity of the wicked. Because there's an end to all their hopes and ambitions. And there's a beginning to our eternal blessing and reward. Don't dwell on the past. Rather than the present and the future, it's foolish self-pity. Of course, these self-pitying, self-righteous introverts call this self-examination. Don't dwell on the past. Let me tell you something about Saul of Tarsus. You've never had a past like Saul of Tarsus had when he became the Apostle Paul. And, and, and you, please say to me, please say, Pastor, Preacher, Paul brought up his past on several occasions. He never brought them up because he was thinking about them. He only brought them up to help the people that he was writing to that if God could forgive me, He can forgive you. That's why He brought them up. He lived above all that stuff. David lived above it all. David said, Lord, restore to me the joy of salvation, my salvation, and I'll teach transgressors thy ways and sinners will be converted to you. I will get busy again being your best man on earth. The past doesn't matter. He's buried it. It's as far as the east is from the west. It's behind his back. It's in the deepest sea. It's gone. It's under the blood. Move forward. Christian, move forward. Paul moved forward. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord, how long do you want me to mourn and fast? Noah, what wilt thou have me to do? And he went and preached Christ in the synagogue at Damascus. Don't dwell in the past. God forgives and forgets. And you must learn to do the same thing. I love Ezekiel. If the wicked man who loves his wickedness turns and repents and does righteousness, do you know what it says? I will forget all the wickedness that man did. That is, that's the God that we serve. That's our Father in heaven. Considering, fretting, or worrying about the past is a destructive waste of time. Whatever effect your past has on you right now, change it. You can change things. What am I going to do is of much greater importance than what have I done? What am I going to make happen? is better than what has happened to me. It's how you think. It's, it's, it's your perspective on life, Lord, help us. Philippians 4, and let's finish. We have a God that is infinitely happy. He has done so much to make us happy. I don't know where to turn in the Bible. This series could go on until I die. Mm-hmm. Genesis 1, are there any good things in Genesis 1 that make you happy? When the sun comes up, does it get you happy? When the sun goes down, does it get you happy? When the moon comes up, does it get you happy? When the moon goes down, does it get you happy? When the stars come out, do they make... We could go on and on. Genesis 1. Is there anything in Revelation 22 that should make you happy? (laughs) Oh yeah, a little better than Genesis 1. How about in between? There's 1,189 chapters. He's given us everything. Right. He is the infinite being, spirit, person, 
of the universe, and he's revealed himself to us. And it's not that we know him as much as he knows us. And he has given us eternal life. He has adopted us as his sons. He has raised up a mighty son that is our brother, and he is not ashamed to call us brethren. It just goes on and on and on in a spiritual treasury like a bank vault. You walk into the bank vault, and the God of heaven has given me a key that I can go to any safety deposit box. The key works. I can pull it out, and I look in. Justification. Oh, and you shout, I'm justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned in the sight of God. It's just as if I had lived Christ's perfect life in the sight of God. Lord, do you have anything else? I'm feeling good. You close it, you turn another one, and it's something better, and it's something else. And then you open one up and it says adoption. That's the... And you, you, we should quit there. That's the spiritual vault of God's blessing. And we come out and we say, wow, I'm so blessed as a child of God. But you find out that you're in a hall and there's all these other vaults. You know, one says Sherry. And I go inside and, you know, the vault says, play with her hair for 15 seconds and tell her that she's special to you and see what happens. I'm just saying it, you know. Um, you go into a vault. It says, being born in America in 1957 and all the blessings that we have. There's a vault called Publix Ice Cream Dairy Department. Where does it stop? I'm in this great big hallway and there's all these blessings. But the first door is the greatest one of all and the first door should make us perfectly and eternally happy if all other doors were blown up and disappeared. But he hasn't done that. So we should thank him, praise him, taste and see that he is good, try to run through every door that we can and open as many safety deposit boxes as we can to smell, to hear, to taste, to touch, to enjoy that he's given us. Your God is infinitely happy. Your Father in heaven wants you to be perfectly happy for eternity. What could he have done to make you happy? He's done it and a whole lot more. May Jesus Christ be praised forever.